0: Well, good morning again. Thank you, worship team, Greg and company for leading us, Amos for praying for us. Um, It's good to be with you guys again here this morning. You found us in uh, part five of a seven-part series we call A Thousand Words, and quickly the rationale for this is that we believe at Grace Point Church that we should be in the business of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And in the process of that, we understand that that can be complicated sometimes. It can be more difficult than we realize. And we want to give a little bit of a picture of what it might look like in different phases, stages of life to follow Jesus more directly and even more passionately. We're studying seven parables of Jesus where he gives word pictures of what this will actually look like. And so because a picture is worth a thousand words, we're looking at seven of these pictures of what it looks like to follow Jesus. The first time that we were together, we covered the, um, the, the, the early on stage here, was, was the wineskins, new wineskins, old wine uh, parable, and the idea that God has always been in the business of drawing near to those who are far from him. The second week we went into the parable of the Good Samaritan, perhaps the most famous parable of all, That people who really love God really love people and give up a right to be against them. We learned in that one. The week after that I had a stool up here uh, and we talked about the table and the invitation in this time period to, to bring people to the table so that you would be honored by their presence and conversely they would be honored by being in your presence and talked about this idea that, that Jesus flipped that on its end and said, listen, God's estimation of you is what really matters, and use your opportunities now to honor one another. Use, in humility, serve one another because God has already, uh, his estimation of you is what matters, not one another. Um, last week when we were together, we talked about this high, high, high level of commitment that Jesus calls us to. He shared the parable of the the, the one building a tower and the king with an army that we want to, figure out how much it costs to build the tower before we do it, and we want to figure out how many people we need to beat the army of 20,000 before we go out and tackle them. And we kind of cut against the grain of the traditional understanding of that parable and said it's not just about counting the cost before you follow Jesus, but it is count the cost and realize you're never going to have enough anyway, so commit everything you have to him. And that the call to commitment is actually a gift to us, not a guilt driven deal. Because only Jesus can bear the weight of eternity. That even if you could count the cost and you could build the tower yourself, you know that at the end of the day it's not going to be enough. And so last week's was about this this high level of commitment that Jesus calls us to because only he can bear the weight of eternity. Not our resources, not our wisdom, not our strength, not anything like that. This week we're on to parable number five and we're actually going to cover three of them this week. It is another um, week where we're going to cover, end up in a very similar or a very familiar parable for many of you. But I think that the way that we approach this, I hope will be helpful uh, to you, all right? Um, before we get into that, I want to say this, and you probably heard me say this before. It's a simple phrase up here, and that is this, that we celebrate what we value. You agree with that? We celebrate what we value? Yeah? So we know this principle to be generally true. So if our team wins the Super Bowl, we celebrate what we value there, and if they don't, we don't. If our person gets voted into office, we celebrate that, and if we don't, they, we don't. And you know, if, if um, things generally move in our direction, we tend to celebrate things that kind of go well for us, and we'll celebrate what we value. But the converse of that is also true that we tend not to celebrate what we don't value and more specifically or more pointedly this way for this morning we can't celebrate what we think is undeserved you agree with that we can't celebrate what is undeserved Uh, we have a really hard time Uh, let's just take this year for example if you're a, a football fan at all Uh, The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl, but there's also this cloud of suspicion around the whole New England Patriots organization. Do they cheat or do they not cheat? Those who don't like them anyway are going to say, man, this whole thing is undeserved it becomes difficult to celebrate and we want to have a reason not to celebrate because we think, ah, it's a cheating culture and therefore it's undeserved. You know, we're always trying to push the limits. If we think that someone has voted into office and, and we think that somehow the election was rigged or the whole system or the process was rigged and they got in in a way that wasn't deserving, we're like, yeah, like we can't. We can't, celebrate that. we can't celebrate that. If we're in a, in a business and we know there's one managerial position opening a kind of above ours and we know that I've been working next to someone who's you know for the last five years we've been kind of doing the same job and it's going to be either me or him and, and at the end of the day my boss is like it's him and not me and you know because you worked next to him for a long time that, that he would always cut corners but as soon as the boss came around the corner he would smile and say the right stuff and he was outgoing and a good person but he lacked integrity and you knew it but the boss didn't know it and he gets the promo because the boss likes him more than he likes you. And you're like, man, he doesn't deserve it, and I can't celebrate that. You ever have those feelings? And here, here's, here's the thing. This becomes harder um, the closer the person is to you. In other words, um, sibling rivalry, right? How many of you have brothers or sisters, right? You ever have your um, brother or sister get credit for something that you deserve credit for? Is it easy to celebrate that? <laughs> Like, are you kidding me? No way, right? No way. No way in the world. It is hard. It is so hard to celebrate, especially for those who are closest to us, something that we think is undeserved. Any of you ever look back um, in, uh, in, in uh, you know, back to high school or college years or whatever, and, and you now maybe are friends with somebody on Facebook, or you run into them, you know, around town, or or you, you're friends with them on Instagram, or you follow them, or whatever, and, and they they always used to be the person who cut the corners, and they just—they were never quite people of integrity, and now they're like super successful. And you're like, and there's something in your heart, and you think maybe that's jealousy or envy, but no, I think it's a righteous anger. Like, how could God honor their shortcuts? Like, why do they make all the money now? What's going on with this? It's hard, isn't it, to celebrate what we think is undeserved, isn't it? And the closer the person is to us, even the harder that is to deal with. Especially, especially if they're in the family, and especially if around the 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 Christmas meal or the Thanksgiving meal or the birthday meal, you know, mom or dad, um, the matriarch or the patriarch of the family has a moment, and they draw everyone's attention, and they say, you know what? I think we just need to honor you know, what little Joey has done this year. I just, uh, you know, I, I love all you kids, but you know, what Joey did this year was just incredible. The way that he, whatever, and we talked just for a minute about this, this little Joey over here, and you're sitting there thinking, come on. Like, Joey, really? Like, Mom and Dad, seriously? Like, you don't know what he does when you're not looking like you're just not even, oh, you kidding me? It is hard to celebrate what we think is undeserved. And this morning, Jesus is going to push on this for us and he's going to push in a way that is very um, hard, if I'm honest and hard, I hope for you too, if you're honest to see and hard even to see in myself, but it's true. it is hard, it's hard to celebrate what is undeserved. This morning is all about celebration and we celebrate what we value. and Jesus is going to take this theme of celebration and play it on through and ultimately going to ask the question, what do you value the most? So if you have your Bible, grab it, let's turn over to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be actually reading through almost this whole chapter this morning. So Luke chapter 15, it is a third book in the New Testament. It's a, called the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke wrote this, who was a follower of, of Jesus, and he wrote it to write an orderly account for those who were following uh, Jesus. Um, by the way, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you, and that's our gift to you this morning. You can take that and uh, and have that and run with it uh, this morning um, and, and go with it. All right? So Luke chapter 15. Uh, Just to set the stage, I'm going to read the first couple verses and then go from there. Um, Here's Jesus uh, coming together uh, with people around him. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That is Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so here's our conflict. Here's the tension. Here's the rub. It sets it up in verse 2 that there are people around Jesus who are called tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we have two opposing groups, sinners and tax collectors, Pharisees, teachers of the law, they look at Jesus and they're like, you're hanging out with the wrong people, and they accuse him, this man, this is not like, oh wow, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them." wow, it's like, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him, it's an accusatory Tone. This is not, a, uh, this is not an, a statement of honor. And so Jesus flips everything on its head in the day. And we kind of know this if you know anything about Jesus. He's willing to flip the values of the culture on its head and visit with and be connected with and invite to the table sinners and tax collectors. Now, just think about people that you invite to your parties. Okay? There are some people that you will invite and some people that you won't. There's some people who come to your house and some who do not. There's some who come to your birthday parties, and I get that might be family and all that, and others who do not. But there's also some other reasons why we don't invite people. There are just some people somewhere along the line that we get in our minds like they don't fit here with us. And other people who look at us and say, they don't fit with me. And we kind of all generally agree at some level, and then there's hurt with, you know, maybe I should have, and I wasn't invited, and I'm kind of hurt that I wasn't. We kind of just have this dance through life of people think that, yep, they should be and they shouldn't be, and we all make those decisions along the way. And, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law made the decision that the sinners and tax collectors don't belong with the religious people. They're not righteous, they don't belong with the righteous people. Jesus is claiming to be a teacher of the law, basically a, a teacher of the, the Torah, and he's hanging out with the wrong people. People. And so it discredits him. His authority is undermined, and he doesn't have the moral authority or the moral ground to speak anymore. And so this is an accusation meant to undercut Jesus' authority and undercut his voice. And so Jesus, in response to this, tells three parables. And they're progressive parables, they build on one another, and I want to show the build uh, this morning. And it begins with the parable of the lost sheep. And so here he goes, beginning in verse 3, in response to their push. This is their accusation. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, taking this parable as it, as it stands itself, this is likely a rich um, landowner, a rich farmer who, who has a lot of sheep. The average person would have owned about 5 to 15 um, livestock. So this is someone who owns 100. And so Jesus is beginning kind of in the world of the Pharisees and the tax collectors, people who are well-off, people who have stuff, whether it's material possessions or the respect, the credibility of people around them. These are people who are doing well in society. And so when someone is doing well and is rich and has a bunch of sheep, even someone like that, even a rich and wealthy person in society will leave 99 to go find the one. And if you're a farmer and you, you, you've shepherded sheep, you would know that the best way to, to, when you find your sheep to get it back home is to, because they don't really follow you necessarily. You pick them up and you bear the weight on your shoulder and you may have seen pictures of maybe a Jesus image of you know, a sheep over his shoulders, whatever. That's kind of the image that it is. Their, 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 uh, their legs will come over either side with their, their head on one side and you just kind of carry the sheep on your shoulders. And you come back and you rejoice that the one sheep was found. And this parable could stand alone, and Jesus says, hey, listen, remember, this is what happens in our culture. This is what happens here. When the one sheep is found, we get together and we celebrate because we celebrate what we value, and we value our livestock. When we value our animals, we value the resource that that is, and so we celebrate when one is found. And I think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, okay, okay, I can track with that. I get that, I get that. And Jesus continues to tell another parable because he's not done. In verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now Jesus goes to the other social spectrum, and he goes from the rich landowner to the poor Woman in the home. We believe this is a poor woman in the home because number one, she only has ten coins, which would be about, which would represent her life savings. There, ten coins meaning about ten days worth of resources, and then she's out. So, if you kind of think of your life now and think, do I have ten days worth of resources to live on? What if I lost one of those days? I, th- I think I would care about that. Like that would be valuable. We think she's also poor because. She has to light a lamp in her house to find it, meaning she's likely in one of the poor homes, which is an inner home within the city that actually doesn't have any windows in it, which is where poor people would live because it's not nearly as nice to live in a house with no windows as it is to have a house with windows. And so if real estate is all about location, 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 it's not a good location. But it is where she is. So she has to light a lamp as a poor woman with one out of ten coins gone. And even the poor woman... Would, would look hard for 10% of what was lost, and I think I, I think that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. I see what you're saying, that if I lost 10% of what I had, I would put in a good effort to get it. And if I found it, I would actually be happy. I would celebrate, I would rejoice that I found it. Now, there's progression already. Right, there's a progression from the first parable to the second parable. There's a progression of one in a hundred sheep that are lost, right? One in a hundred that are lost, down to one in ten that's lost, right? The third parable is the parable of the prodigal son, which many of you know. We're going to read in a moment, but it's a parable of the prodigal son. You know that that parable is about a younger brother and an older brother and a father. The younger brother who rebels wants his inheritance, takes it and goes away and is a fool and then comes back groveling to the father who celebrates him and the older brother gets angry and doesn't want to come into the feast and so you know that parable and that parable becomes not one of a hundred or one of ten but one of two. The parables move in terms of how many things are lost. One of a hundred sheep is lost, one of ten coins is lost, and one of two sons is lost. It moves that way but it also moves in another direction. It moves uh, in, a, in a moral direction. This is what I mean is it the sheep's fault that he was lost? <laughs> kind of, but not really. Like, when you get to the sheep, you, don't, you might just scold the sheep because you're angry, but what does that do? It doesn't really do anything. The sheep, it just makes you feel better, but it's not like the sheep willed it, that he wanted to go run off because he just wanted better pastures. He was just dumb, right? I mean, just got lost and, and, and was gone. The coin, is it the coin's fault that it, whatever, fell off the, the thing? No, you probably bumped it off the table and, Somehow you caused the coin to be lost because there's an amoral dimension to both of the the animal and the coin, meaning it's not a moral choice that either one made. This prodigal son is categorically different. There's a moral dimension to this. The prodigal son makes a choice to get lost. And that's categorically different, isn't it? And Jesus is going to push into the prodigal son story in a way that he hasn't pushed into the sheep or the coin, and he wants to push in a way to to dig under a value that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had. And here's what he's kind of saying. He's like, listen, guys, sometimes you value your animals and your money more than people. And you're willing to celebrate when you find a sheep, and you're willing to celebrate when you find your money But you're not willing to celebrate when you find people. Now, before we're too hard on them, sometimes I am just like that. There have been times when I have valued even my dog more than people. You ever been there? You ever been happier? Let's say you come home, right? You ever been happier to see your dog than someone you're upset with? You ever would have been more upset to learn that your dog died that day than someone who really crossed you and never liked you in the first place died? I mean, you'd be kind of like, yeah, that's not good. But my dog died? Seriously? I mean, just in honesty, have you ever been there? Okay. Have you ever been there in terms of valuing money and resources and maybe just slightly more than people? You ever struggle to be generous to someone who has a legitimate need but who has a legitimate need because in your mind they were foolish about the resources that they had? You ever struggle with that? You ever struggle to say, yeah, I've got, but if I give away some, like, uh, I don't know if I should because uh." some of that might be wisdom and how we help and not enable things, but isn't it true that we struggle sometimes actually to value people over money? And Jesus wants to invite us in to say, come on, you do this, all right? You celebrate when things are lost, you celebrate because they're important to you. When your sheep is lost, you celebrate because it's important to you. When you lose 10% of your your wealth, you celebrate when you find it because it's important to you. And then he's going to tell the story of the son. And it's going to be the same principle. Are you going to celebrate when someone who chooses to get lost is found? Is it important to you or not? Let's read the story. Jesus continued with this third parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Can you imagine doing that to your father? Just pause for a minute. You know what an estate is for, inheritance is for? It's for when, as a, as a dad, you die and you pass on your estate to your children, your inheritance, whatever it might be. We know this even in our culture, that it is an absolute affront to say, hey, hey uh no, you're not dead yet, but can I have you know, what you're going to give me? Do you, do you mind if I get an advance on, on that? Thanks, and then I'm going to leave. It's the same as basically saying, listen, you are of no more worth to me because the only thing that's valuable to you is your stuff. And so if you can give me your stuff, that'd be awesome. Then I don't have to deal with you anymore, and actually I can go off and do my thing ahead of time. So this is tantamount to saying, hey, Dad, you're as good as dead to me, and you're not important to me at all. You exist so that I can have more stuff. So if you can either hurry up and die or just give me my stuff, that'd be great. This is what the younger son does. And so the dad obliges. He divides his property among the older and younger son. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off and left for a distant country. Didn't want to have a relationship with dad anymore. Made the choice to get lost and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, we don't need to imagine too much what wild living is, but we need to imagine for a moment so it comes home to us, okay? Okay wild living. Later on, the older son will acknowledge to the father, dad, come on, he wasted his money with prostitutes. I mean, we need to get our minds around this for a moment in Jesus' story that this wasn't just, oh, you know, he made a bad real estate choice and he bought too many cars. I mean, these are moral and immoral decisions that this younger son is going full on in he is full on into the prostitution piece. right? He's just full on into sexual morality. He is full on in, most likely, to, to parties that come along with all that kind of lifestyle. He's just full, full on in wild living. In wild living. He makes the choice. Dad, you're as good as dead. I'm leaving. Don't care about you. I'm going to go live. And after verse 14, he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything, at which point then the responsible people in the world are like, ha, 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 serves you right. This is why we would never do that. Ha, 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 ha. Like, I'm not really laughing, but I'm kind of laughing at you. Like, that's what you get for being so irresponsible with your stuff. Ha, 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 ha. Verse 17. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever gone down the path where you have intentionally sinned? You've intentionally chosen to do something that you know that God doesn't want you to do. But it. Seemed right, and you wanted it to feel right, and it's kind of fun to sin, right? I get that. I think we all get that, and you've intentionally done this anyway. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, I, "Man, I, I was wrong. I need to go back and apologize to whoever I sinned against and God. I need to come back." And you kind of work through your apology, right? You kind of get it ready in your mind of what you're going to say when you come back to this person. And this is where this younger son is, and so he has this whole thing worked up, and he's ready to come back. And so he makes his way back verse 20 he got up and went to his father but while he was still still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with and what's that word filled with compassion for him and here's what we know biblically that compassion um, always is teamed with action there's no such thing as compassion without action in the new testament he was still a long way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, so he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Some of you know already how uncouth this is to do, that this is um, so out of the ordinary for a father in this time to do that. He would actually have to to pull up his uh, cloak. I, don't, I, I call it a, we use bathrobes here to represent, you know, what people wore in this time when we recreate dramas at this time. But but imagine a, a stately, noble, wealthy man in that time kind of pulling up his I'm not gonna call it a dress, cause that sounds too feminine, right? But but kind of pulling up to run, and you're you're showing some leg as a man. You're running. You don't do that because you're not in a hurry for anybody else. right? your agenda is more important than that person's you run into. You wait for them to come to you. This is completely different. This is a whoa! I'm overtaken by my son. Man, pull up the whatever it is that you're wearing thing, right? Whoop, you know, and run and go see. The younger son, because I'm filled with compassion for him. And it, it just, this is off. Everything about this is off culturally. Why would a father do this? Verse 21. So the son, he's already rehearsed his apology to dad, right? So, the, and you, you've been there, right? You kind of rehearsed. You set up a meeting with somebody that you've offended, and you kind of get your thing ready, and it never comes out right the way you thought when you were in your private moment, you know. And then you get and sit in front of somebody, and you have kind of want to say what you thought of saying, and you kind of butcher it up a little bit, and then you leave, and you think, I should have said something else instead. And so, here's, here's the son's opportunity to say to his dad what he's rehearsed. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's pretty good. That's pretty good if you're talking about in the moment. I mean, you got that out pretty good. Now, here's what, here's what the dad should say. Like, son, it's okay. Like I, I heard you and like, it's okay. Um, or maybe if dad was trying to drive home a lesson, he's like, son, thank you for the apology I and mean, I, I'll take it. I hope we've learned something here. I love you, but I hope we've learned something here. Come on. Let's go figure this out. I mean, that would be really generous to do that. But it's like dad is coming out, um, and the son is like, Hey, dad, I'm, I'm really sorry. And the son's, and the dad's like, He cuts him off, he doesn't even respond to the apology. I mean, look at the text here in verse 22. But the father, here's the next thing the father says. He says to his servants, he doesn't even talk to his son. He's like, are you saying something? Sorry, I don't know. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. I mean, did you say something, son? I don't know what you said. Quick, come on, let's celebrate. It's like, I don't even hear what you said. You came to me with an apology. I, I don't even know were you saying, were you talking? Because he goes out to greet him, and the son's like, "Ah, uh, dad, dad uh, I've sinned against heaven. What did I write down? And against you. And quick, bring the fattened calf. Bring get it. Let's get it together. Get my servants together, and let's go." It's like, are you talking? He doesn't even engage the apology because he doesn't need it. He doesn't engage the apology. He doesn't need it. The son has returned. To him, And in that, the father's compassion overtakes everything else. He doesn't even engage or respond to the apology. In fact, he turns to celebration right away. He's like, quick, tell the servants, bring the best robe and bring it on him. Let's go. Because this son of mine was lost. Kind of like that coin, was lost like that sheep and then it's found. And what do you do when you find things that are lost? Remember the sheep and the coin, we celebrate. And that's what we're going to do. Meanwhile, back on the farm, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and this is where the parable number three is different than parable one and two. This is where Jesus turns it, because you remember that he's speaking in the presence of Pharisees and teachers of the law. This is where Jesus turns the parable further and deeper, and he says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Because we can't celebrate what we think is undeserved. Right? We can't celebrate what we think is undeserved. We don't celebrate the sports victory when we think they've cheated. We can't celebrate our sibling when we think they've undercut us. We can't celebrate the politician who gets voted in with a corrupt political system. We can't celebrate what we think is undeserved. We just can't. It's not in us to do that. And so the older son is like, this is not deserved. I am angry This is not fair. I cannot come in. Certainly, Dad, you would understand. He didn't just get lost. He chose to be lost. He wasn't just knocked off the table and fell under the couch somewhere like a coin. He told you that you were as good as dead to him, and he took your stuff, and he went off. Do you remember what he did? I can't celebrate what's undeserved. He answered his father, Look, verse 29. All these years I've been, what's that word? Slaving. I've been slaving for you. And isn't it interesting how the free son sees himself? As a free son, I've been a slave you and never disobeyed your orders and yet you gave me even a you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him my son the father said you're always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And remember, son, we celebrate what was lost and is now found. The story ends strangely, doesn't it? The story ends differently than the coin and the sheep. And it ends with Jesus finishing with the stage set of the father coming to the older son, just like he came to the younger son, and saying, come on in, I want to invite you to. I want to invite you to, to the table, to celebrate what is found. And Jesus' point, Jesus' point, I believe in all of this, is speaking to the Pharisees and teachers of the law is this, if I could put it into these words, I would say this, that God the Father is so compassionate that he celebrates when even the most undeserving turn to him. See, Pharisees and teachers of the law, you are misunderstanding. You're misunderstanding this. You struggle to celebrate what's undeserved. And I get that. Personally, I get that. It is hard to celebrate, if not impossible to celebrate, what you think is undeserved. You can't let go because you don't feel like it's worth it. That was not fair. They cheated. They cut the corner. Something wasn't right. That's not, I can't join into that celebration. And Jesus, in response to the accusation that, come on, you're eating with Pharisees, or excuse me, with, with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is like, you don't understand how compassionate my father is. He's so compassionate. He's so compassionate that even the most undeserving get a celebration when they return to him. Even the most undeserving get a celebration when they return to him. Even the people who don't fit in your home or on your guest list or in your party or you tell your children to stay away from at school or you think I got to stay away from when I go out. The places that you avoid because the people there are different. The people there, they have made choices that make them different, they have made immoral choices. They have chosen to do things sexually that you would never do. They've chosen to, to, to watch things, to create a life, to raise their kids in ways that are immoral in your mind and in my mind. They've given up their lives for all kinds of stuff. And they, they are lost. They are lost. And, hey, our church doors are open. If they want to come in, they can come in to, to find us. But we're here and we're safe. But there's people out there who don't deserve... Yet, And I frankly would be more sad if my dog died than them on certain days. Jesus says, you don't understand the Father if you don't understand how compassionate he is. That even the most undeserving who willfully, repeatedly, passionately give themselves over to the grossest sins that you can imagine... When they've returned to me, God the Father runs to them. Doesn't even actually hear their apology. Is <laughs> like, quick, let's celebrate because that's what we do with things that are lost and are now found. That's what we do. Remember the sheep and the coin you agreed with that. Now let's take it to people. It's different because it's harder. It's hard to celebrate what's undeserved. So let me ask this question do you remember when you were the younger son? Do you remember being the younger son? Do you remember how amazing, how rich and deep and full God's forgiveness of you and me was? Do you remember that? Do you remember that moment where you realized, I can never, I can never righteous in God's eyes I can never do enough to be holy for him my good effort is never going to be enough my word I am so far off his holy standard and do you remember when you really realized man the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and you realize that that God demonstrates his own love for us in this that christ died for me while i was still a sinner while i was still a long way off do you remember what it feels like do you remember the weight of that remember the power of that of being the younger son of having the father run to you when you were so far off run to you when you were so lost in your stuff do you remember the power of, of his mercy of his forgiveness, of his grace, when you came to him and you're like, Father, I'm sorry, I've I've blown it. I've fallen into sin again. I'm never going to be good enough. And he's like, I'm sorry. Are you talking because you're here in my presence and let's celebrate you? Do you remember that? Remember being the younger son? Because here's the struggle. It is not hard for religion to turn you and me into the older son. It is not hard for religion to turn us into the older son who labors almost like a slave, never disobeying the orders of the Father, always wanting to please, wanting recognition from, trying to do all the right things and be responsible and never make the immoral decisions that other people make. And then struggling to celebrate when people who make immoral decisions come to faith and are f- uh, greeted so freely and so lavishly by an incredibly merciful God who actually did the same thing to us. We stand in the difficult position of the older brothers sometimes, which is exactly where the Pharisees and teachers of the law were. And Jesus gets under that and he says, listen, don't we celebrate when things that are lost are found? Yeah, 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 we do, we do. Unless they're undeserved. Then we don't. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, let me tell you this story about the younger and the older. Let me tell you this. And then he finishes with the invitation, the invitation to the older brother, to the Pharisees and the tax collectors. Come in come, come, celebrate, celebrate. And in making that invitation, in forcing you into the celebration, it forces you back to the grace of God. It forces you back to a relationship with the Father that is full of grace, not of works, that is full of forgiveness and mercy. Can you imagine what this would be like if this took this grab that's this, this got traction. Can you imagine what this would look like? that has got traction in your life, in this church's life, in our community. If we had such scandalous grace that we, number one, felt such confidence in God's presence, not because we've performed well enough, but because he... He's run to us and said, come on, you were lost and now you're found. I know you thought I was dead. I know you didn't care about me. I know you did all kinds of immoral stuff. I know that. Yeah, thanks for the apology, but come on, come on. You've turned to me now. Come on, let's celebrate. You Can you imagine the freedom you would have personally if your relationship with God was based on on an awareness and ownership of how much grace he's given you, not on trying to please him. And then secondarily, can you imagine what it would look like if we began to see people in the same way as the Father saw them? If we began to say, you know what? I think I need to expand my list of people I hang out with, with no strings attached. I need to be careful how I judge here that I don't turn into an older brother, who sees the world through obedience and morality rather than through the grace, and the compassion of God the Father. You need to be careful that I, because I've been given this great grace, that I give it to others. This, I'm telling you, and I think you know it would be scandalous for the church in general. That the church in general would be so free with grace, that people would look at you and say, that church is going down the tubes. They are so liberal. They let anybody do whatever. They let anybody in. They are so free. They don't even have any standards anymore. They just, whatever. And I can guarantee you that's what they would have said about the father. I can guarantee you that's what the critics would have said about the father who pulled up his robe and ran to his son. <laughs> the critics who stand on the side and say, there's no way. He doesn't deserve that. He's not learning a lesson by that. They need to teach him something. He can't be brought in just like that. That is the voice of the older brother. That is not where Jesus went. Here. (laughs) Listen. This is what the Father does. What is lost and is found is celebrated. And it costs a ton to do it, but that's what Christians do. Becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus, Christ is following in the steps of that grace in a way that will cost us. It will cost us. It costs the father in this prodigal son story. Respect in the eyes of his community, I guarantee it. And it may cost you, it may cost me, respect in the eyes of people around us who we previously cared about. But this is what grace does. Imagine if we did this. Imagine if someone were to look at you or look at this church and say, huh, they're a friend of sinners. They hang out with those people. What is lost and is found is celebrated no matter what. And this is a story of the prodigal son. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the courage not to shake this off, not to let it slide by, but to step into the cost of this kind of scandalous grace. To be willing to have people look at me and look at us and misunderstand us and say, whoa, they're a friend of those people. They must have lost all their standards at their church. They have those people over. They allow their kids to hang out with them. They do that? No, no, no. I don't think good Christians do that. Father, I pray that you would save us from the older brother syndrome that sees responsibility and morality as the highest of our aims. Give us the courage to be people of grace, to have the strength to hold that line, Like the Father has given to us this grace. That no matter what, we are people of the cross of Jesus Christ who come leading, understanding that we have been saved by grace. We have been the younger brother. We have received this kind of grace. And that is what we have got to fight to give to people around us. We believe, God, that you are a powerful, strong, mighty Savior who can move in us. I pray that you would continue to drive in us. Make us uncomfortable with a position that begins to lean into the older brother. Give us more and more courage to step into grace no matter what it may cost us and how scandalous it might be, let us be people that celebrate what is found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.